Okay, welcome to uh, Hope for the Heart. I'm going to continue in our book of Revelation. Uh, and I know you're going to think I'm crazy, but this is going to be uh, another one on the introduction. I'm still there. I, I just can't seem to get very far. And uh, I'm, I'm not doing this uh, just to bore you out of, uh, out of your mind on this. But, uh, and I, I'm going to go a little faster when I get through verses 1 through 3. But I do want to continue on this, and I know the last two times I've called it a glimpse into the future. Uh, last week was called part two. This week is going to be called actually part three. I hate to do that to you. I just don't feel really creative in the title. I think that one says it all as we get ready and jump into this book. So again, I want to read you uh, these verses for context so that we can uh, uh, put what we're going to say today into the same context. So I want to read from Revelation chapter 1 beginning in verse 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his bondservants the things which must shortly take place. And he sent and communicated, uh, sent and communicated it by his angel to his bondservant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. And then verse 3, Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of prophecy and heed the things which are written in it. For the time is near. And, you know, as even as I'm reading that, I don't think I'm going to be able to conclude in part four here. Uh, I mean, part three here. Scott, I know I just scared you when I said part four. But part three, I think I'm going to have to go to probably a part four before I can get into verses four through nine on, on this. But but I want to begin today by, by giving you just a, a, a brief look back as we, we have looked at the nature of the book, saying it is the revelation or the uncovering or the unveiling and then we said that that, uh, if you follow the outline, it's very clear here. It's just taking it word, almost just phrase by phrase through these first three verses. But the theme of the book is, is the revelation or the uncovering or the unveiling of Jesus Christ. And then we said in uh, the three, number three on the outline, the source of that revelation is uh, God himself. God is the source and he gives it to Christ. But there are actually recipients attached to this, and that's number four. And the recipients are the bondservants and that we left off with that last week. Uh, or we actually hit that last week. We completed that. It is his bondservants. And we said that uh, basically uh, that this book is, is, is a book that is written for Christians. No one else can understand it. And I know I've gotten a lot of information uh, from people about that. And it's just, uh, some have even said to me, William, that just makes all the sense in the world. So many people get confused over this, but yet they uh, they actually kind of like it, but they only want to read certain parts of it. And we don't realize the two-sidedness of, the, of a prophecy book like this, that there is uh, uh, the glory and the presentation and the exaltation of Christ, but there's also uh, the judgment of the wicked. And that's not pleasant. That's not pleasant to look at. We're going to see some amazing things as we, we look at that. And that's where we left off last week is the, the very character of this book is that it is a prophetic book. It is that kind of prophetic book in which we are, are able to see some things that I, I think are, are very important for us to see. And so I, I want to jump back into this because it is so important that I don't want to miss it. And that missing it is wrapped up in this uh, one part of this uh, verse that I, I want, I'm trying to get my, my focus here back on this, this one thing because I want you to see it. 
It says, the things which must shortly take place. Now, this is all under the, the character of the book, and we're saying the character of the book is the prophetic nature of the book. Now, I want to, uh, to help understand this by emphasizing that word shortly. You see that word shortly there in the verse? If you want to make a, a few notes on that, or put our mind has actually a little star beside it, I want to give you the meaning of this because it, it really doesn't come into play in our understanding of the book. You see, it can mean in a very brief or quick time. It's, it's the, the, the word that is, is here is a very interesting word. It is a word, and, and I don't have to give you the Greek word, but it is, uh, we get our English word tachometer from it. And so the, the, and that's actually a, a transliteration of the word, meaning the Greek word for that is basically tachometer. Uh, it doesn't, you don't pronounce it like that, but some of you have a car with a tachometer. It measures velocity. It measures the velocity of your engines, or we can say it, it, it measures the, the, uh, RPMs or the revolutions per minute of your engine. And some of you are thinking, well, I don't have a clue what that means. But uh, what that basically means is when, when, when we see the word in a sense as a word that speaks about the velocity of the book, uh, we, we, we tend to think of it as, as coming very fast. And then we get into the book and we start, we see, man, when it gets to chapter 6 of this book, uh, and, and realize that this book is just seven years long, and much of the book is, is really just three and a half years, and all that's got to happen, it's going to be fast. And so it's an unbelievable spectacle of judgments that takes place. It sweeps the earth. And then you look at the thousand-year period being covered basically in one chapter. Some amazing things take place in that, and the whole universe is then destroyed, and you see a new heaven and a new earth is created. There's a certain brevity about these events, but there's a certain velocity uh, which they also happen. And once we get into the future part, it's say chapter 6, we're going to feel like you're moving at warp speed, uh, to take a Hollywood phrase, because it just goes so fast. It's uh, If this book is, like I said last week, it is a time of Jacob's trouble, if it is completing that last week of years that Daniel talks about, then we understand it, the period of time that this book covers is seven years. In just seven years, the whole world system of man and Satan is uh, diluted with horrific uh, wrath that God is going to pour out. And then a kingdom, a brief reality of a thousand years, yet one day is with the Lord is a thousand years. And so we we see uh, some amazing things here. But but I want you to, to see something else here. That word is really not intended for us to understand the speed of this. It really isn't the main intention of that word. It can mean that, and perhaps that would be inclusive in this as the Spirit has given it to John. But I think the main meaning of the word is the idea, and some of your translations actually say it. The idea is that it, it is, uh, it's going to happen soon. Uh, we go, uh, or we look at this, and it's the idea of of happening soon, and I guess that's why my translation reads, which must shortly take place. And so if we go to the end of Revelation, it helps us, I think, make this interpretation a little bit more. And by that I mean if you go to the the last chapter of the book of Revelation, in chapter 22, verse 12, it says something uh, that's very interesting in that, that, that verse. 
Uh, let's see, chapter 22, verse 12. Chapter 22, verse 12. Uh, there is a verse 12 here. Uh, it says, I am coming quickly and my reward is with me. Now here you have the word tachometer, the same word group, but it would seem here that he's not talking about velocity with which he comes, but the nearness of his coming. And I think that really has more to play here than the velocity. Down in verse 20, it says it again in Revelation 22. It says this, He who testifies to these things, yes, I am coming here go. Here it goes again. I am coming quickly. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. And so we, we can see that there, and it's assumed that he's talking about velocity of his coming, but rather, I think it's better to understand it in talking about the nearness, or I guess the soonness of it. In chapter 2 uh, of Revelation, we go back to chapter 2 at the front part of the book, and I want to show you something here. And we look at verse 5 of chapter 2. It says this, Remember therefore from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first or else, and here it comes, I am coming to you and I will remove your lampstand. And of course, we'll get into what all that means, but for the sake of this, I just want you to see that he is talking about a soon coming. And then you go into verse 16 of the same chapter and he writes to the church at Pergamum, uh, I, or else I'm going to come again to you quickly. Again, it isn't the velocity of his coming. It's the nearness of his coming. It's the use of the word uh, that we like to use. It's the imminent. Uh, it's next. It's very near. And then chapter 3, we read in verse 11 the same statement to the, the church at Philadelphia. He says, I am coming quickly. Again, the emphasis is on the soonness of Christ. And if you were to follow this use of the same word through Revelation, you would see it again in chapter 11, verse 14, uh, and then you would see it in several other places. So it seems best to see this word as a designation of the nearness of the coming of Christ and not the velocity with which he comes. And you might say, well, what does it really matter? Well, it matters a lot because I think we need to understand the book and the uh, full value of what he's giving to us because it is written for us. Not written to us, but we are having the privilege of being able to see it. So the velocity for which he comes, is uh, we can see that in the rapture. It's amazing. It's quick. He comes and takes his church in just a, a twinkling of an eye. But then you compare that with the, the word that we see in, in verse 1 of chapter 1 of Revelation. Uh, it seems best to understand it in the nearness rather than the quickness. And then like in 2 Timothy chapter 4, you go outside the book of Revelation, we find the same word Paul uses, make every effort, as he says to Timothy, to come to you, to come to me soon. Same word. Well, I don't think he's saying to Timothy, could you please sprint? I don't think he's talking about that. I don't think he's telling Timothy to run. I think he's talking about the, the nearness of time to come to him. So we have here back in Revelation chapter 1 the idea of imminence. It's the idea that the, this is actually next. And, and I, boy, I have to be careful here. I could sway off onto this and get into chapter 24 of the book of Revelation and Luke chapter 17 and 18, but I'm not going to do that because here he's talking about the next event on God's redemptive schedule is the coming of Christ, soonness, or his imminence. It doesn't necessarily mean that he's coming in a brief period of time. It means this is next. In other words, if we see in that prophetic 
view the rapture of the church as next. It means that this book is not talking about that. That this book comes after that, and this in the book is near. In other words, there are no signs or anything pointing toward the rapture because that deals with the church, and the church is going to be moved out of the way so God can get back into what we were talking about earlier, finished dealing with that last prophetic week that Daniel talks about, that last week of years, that's seven years. And so we can find that the... This is uh, what he's talking about. He's talking about the, the, uh, the, the nearness of the time. But I want to show you one quick thing before I move away from this. It's, it's found in chapter 6 and verse 10. We find the saints are under the altar in the midst of the tribulation in the seven-year period. And they're saying this at the altar. How long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And there was given to each of them a white robe, and they were told that they should rest a little while longer. So the fact that he is, excuse me, the fact that he is coming soon, that his coming is near, does not necessarily preclude a waiting time. It will include that. The church has always lived in the expectancy. The Apostle Paul always talked about this. In Thessalonians uh, chapter 1, verse 7, uh, the end of all things is near. He was living at the sense of it. it Eminency, the whole, all of Thessalonians, first and second, is in the light of that. The book of Acts chapter 1 uh, says, The same Jesus in which is taken up from you will so return in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. You remember that? And so there's always been the expectancy of the church to live in that kind of a moment. And I think this helps us understand the character of the book. <clears throat> and that character of the book is is is, is, is it's a prophetic book, and so we we need to understand that. And there's so many more things I could give you. This like the uh, the 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 readiness is portrayed in Luke chapter twelve of the of those with a wedding feast and that kind of thing. But so what we're learning in this wonderful opening section, all is following this outline, and, and I want you to understand that the outline, number one, was the nature of the book. Uh, those of you who like outline, uh, there is the, the, the theme of the revelation. There is the source of the revelation, number three. There are the recipients of the revelation, number four. There is the character of the revelation, which means it's prophetic in nature. And now there is the mode of the revelation, number six. And number six, I want you to see this. Uh, it says he must shortly take place, and he sent and communicated it by his angel to his bondservant, John. The mode is the angel. He sent and communicated it by his angel. You see that? That makes this a supernatural, I think John MacArthur said this in his book, uh, in his commentary series. I think he, he's the one that said this. It's a supernatural delivery, uh, and that's a great point because it really is. He sent and communicated it by his angel. Here is a supernatural delivery. Now, we, uh, we, I guess we just have to let that get our, our focus on this because that makes it even more exciting. Uh, I want you to know something. The only book in the whole New Testament that was delivered and transmitted by angels. 
is this book. It's wonderful. This sets this apart from all others of the books of the New Testament. Unusual situation. But the Lord has chosen to bring the message of this book down to us by means of an angel. Now, uh, what other great bits of revelation was delivered by angels? Well, there was the law Moses given in Acts chapter 7, verse 53. It says uh, that, that we, we are told that, and so we, we can understand that. But this book is delivered by an angel, and the word sent is the word uh, ap, uh, the, from which we get the word apostle, um, apostolos, in which it is sent with the idea of commissioning or representative with an authority of a mission. So there is the angelic look here. Angels appear in almost... Well, so many chapters of the book of Revelation that we're introduced here to, to it in, in, in such a way as to understand the, the mode of transportation that this revelation comes to, to John. But it's also all through the book. Angels appear in almost every chapter. Just listen to this. as, as uh, I forgot one writer points this out. This may have been John MacArthur too, or it could have been Donald Gray Barnhouse. It, it, angels appear in almost every chapter. Uh, they're in chapter 4 as well as chapter 1, but they're also in chapter 4, chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 7, chapter 8, chapter 9, chapter 10, 11, 12. They're not in chapter 13. Uh, they're in 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, and 20. Man, these angels are all over the place. 67 times in the book, we're going to get closely acquainted with angels. And so... Why is he telling us this? Well, I think he's telling us this because, first of all, the simple reason is God told him to tell us. But the second reason is it's an amazing thing to tell us because that's exactly what it is. And so that is the mode of the transportation of this revelation to us. It came by way of angel. But then I want you to notice verse 7. It came by his angel to the destination was always intended to come to John. It is to John that we meet. John here, it's kind of a, a breaking up of this introduction. It's a, uh, the angels bring this message and written it down. To whom do they give the angels? The angels give this to, uh, they reveal this revelation. It says, communicated it to his angel, through his angel, to his bondservant John. By the angel who belongs to Christ to the bondservant who belongs to Christ, namely John. So John is, you know, when I read this, and I don't know whether I can communicate this like I think the book communicates it to me, uh, because I'm not that as good a word or using words like the obviously the Bible is. But I, you, don't you get the feeling that John is absolutely overwhelmed here? It's like he. He never stopped being overwhelmed. And look at John, I mean, look at Revelation chapter 1, verse 9. I, John, your brother and fellow partaker in the tribulation and kingdom and perseverance, which are in Christ. And then he talks about what happened. And, and I have the, 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 the urgency here to just want to say, John is overwhelmed with this. In chapter 21, he's still kind of overwhelmed. We, we've had, we get the whole point here in the book of Revelation that he's, he's pretty much overwhelmed. But look at chapter 21. I just want to show you this just to kind of give it to you a little bit. In chapter 21 of Revelation, it starts off with, And I saw. 
It's as though John is just so overwhelmed, he, all he can say is, I saw. In verse 2 he says, and I saw. And he talks about the holy city. And then he says, and I heard the loud voice. And then in verse 4, I, he shall do this. I heard this. I heard this. It, it's like he is saying, man, I am absolutely amazed over there. Look over at chapter 22. I'm going to show you this verse. Chapter 22, verse 8. It says this, And I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. You see that? I mean, that, that's almost like the way I would have been, John, except I would have probably been crazier. I'd have been saying, man, you guys got to listen to this. This is great stuff. But John just says, I, John, am the one who heard it, and I saw these things. Now, John is... He wrote the Gospel of John. You remember that, don't you? You remember that this is the same John. You remember that uh, when we studied the Gospel of John, the the entire Gospel, uh, John never refers to himself. None. He never referred to himself. Always in the in in the uh, uh, the tense, it would not reflect him or uh, to pointing to himself. But that's why he does not, or he does refer to himself here. And I think it's because he refers to himself in the book of Revelation and didn't in the gospel. It's because I think it's showing he's in shock. I think John is absolutely amazed by all of this. You see, by now, John is probably about 80 years old. In fact, when I'm looking back over here at the introduction to here, the authorship, the book says it was written around 90s. In the, in the early to mid-90s, uh, around 96 A.D., that would be the, the middle to the later 90s. Well, you remember now at the Last Supper, we'll just take it back there in the Gospels, just toward the, the time of the crucifixion. Around 30, we, we always date that around 33 A.D. John would have been a teenager. Uh, in fact, that, well, that reminds me of a, a thing I saw uh, on television, it was, uh, I think it's called The Chosen. And we just started watching it, so I can't talk too much about it. But boy, if you haven't seen that so far, it's really interesting. It gives you like a, and I know that some of it is uh, assumed, but still it gives you an introduction to these uh, apostles and to Mary Magdalene and to some of these other characters. But remember, John is... is is, is this is if it is ninety six A D that's 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 a long time. He was a teenager at the crucifixion, and so we have some sixty three years later. So he's got to be in his eighties, and he's exiled on the Isle of Patmos. He's an old man on Patmos, all by himself, and he cannot believe what he's getting. In fact, you, I'm turning back even to to, to this again. In John chapter, uh, Revelation chapter 1, I, John, and he, he received this. Uh, because, and he says, because of the word of testimony and the testimony of Jesus, in verse 10, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like the sound of a trumpet. John is overwhelmed with this. I think it's very clear. And so verse 2 tells us, about him. In fact, you go to Revelation chapter 2, verse 1, to the angel of church, the one who holds the seven stars, uh, he says, I, and he begins to talk about this uh, even, even more so, so that you can follow along that he is 
He is the one who bore witness to this. He is the one who has actually seen and observed this. So look back at chapter 1, verse 2. Who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ? Well, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw? Well, I'll tell you one thing about John. When he was young and when he's old, he's a faithful witness. And I'm not going to get too much into John here, except that he calls it, it is saying to the one who bore witness. He's really saying, in my way, I'm seeing this. Again, he's telling us he is a true witness. You know, a witness is somebody who saw something that happened and tells you the actual truth about it. That's what a witness is. I've never been a witness in a a court case or a witness in a trial, uh, a witness in a murder scene or a murder case, but that's what a witness does. John is just simply giving us this. As a simple reminder that John is a faithful witness. He bore witness to the Word of God. He saw the Word of God coming to him through these, uh, to what God is allowing him to see, brought by an angel. He bore witness, secondly, to the testimony from Jesus Christ. And so we can see that there are some points that he's giving us here, but I want to get to number eight. The destination uh, is John himself, but the impact of this revelation is what number eight is. And I I just, I've got to let you see this. It is found in verse three. Look at verse three. In verse three, it says, a key word here, blessed is he who reads those who hear the words of the prophecy and heed the things which are written in it. Now, that, that is an interesting way to, to, to give you this because I don't know whether I'm going to be able to finish this, but I am going to try. Blessed is he who reads, those who hear. Uh, this is giving to us, if you listen to the, what's being read and explained, he's, he's giving us something here uh, that if you listen to this being read or explained or you hear it with obedience and ears and you heed it in your life, you're going to be blessed. And so really, this is an encouragement to do this, to do this with this book, because it is a promise of God that you're going to be blessed. Now, if you go to Revelation chapter 22, verse 7, and I want to turn there in my Bible to read it, so you can just mark that down, and you can read it in chapter 22, verse 7. It says, and behold, I am coming quickly. I've already referred to that. Blessed is he who heeds the words of the prophecy of this book. There he's telling us again that the, the, the book is, the character of the book is very prophetic because he even says it there. But he says that, in verse 7, blessed is he who heeds the words of the prophecy of this book. And so we can see here, he's blessed if he heeds the words of prophecy. At the beginning is the blessing, at the end is the blessing, both from the beginning to the end, the promise is that we will be blessed. And here again, is I have to mention this again, people who just refuse to want to read and to study Revelation, saying it's ambiguous, it's a puzzle, it's a mystery, and all I am telling you so far in this third week is that it is exactly open to us. It is the unveiled or the uncovering or the opening up of this revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, I want to take it a step further. If you uh, if we to take take a note of all this, 
Uh, we're going to see chapter 1, blessed is he who reads. Chapter 14, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord. Chapter 16, it says, blessed is he who stays awake and keeps his uh, clothes on, which is what that is talking about. And then we'll explain when, when we get there what that means. In chapter 19, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. In chapter 20, blessed and holy are those who have part in the first resurrection. In chapter 22, blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book, which I just read to you. In chapter 22, again, blessed are those who wash their robes. Man, there's a lot of blessing going on. In fact, I just read you seven of those blessings from just basically these three words in verse 3. And they're verbs, reads, hears, and heeds. You see that? Oh, I love this. When you think about that, that is really what the worship service is, is supposed to all be about. Somebody reads, somebody hears, and then it is applied. That's what he's asking you to do. I'll give you the reading, which includes the explanation. You've got to hear it with your ears, the spiritual ears, and you will hear the little phrase, let him who has ears hear. Uh, here, over and over again in chapter 2 and 3, you need to learn to listen. I'll read it to you. I'll give you the explanation, which is included in the reading. You must hear it. You must heed it. It's precious. It's God's last word. And we have anything beyond that, but we have to do what this verse says. Now, this book is a, a, a book of uh, sevens. Uh, I, I say sevens because it's just what, what this brings me to. It's precious. It's God's Word, and we don't have anything beyond this. And so we ought to take this book and just really enjoy it, devour the book. But I want to just give you some of the sevens in this book, and they're basically related to blessings. I just read you the seven blessings. That's what made me think of the this the sevens in the book. There's seven different blessings that I just gave you. There's lots of things that comes in seven. It's a very important thing for us to know. There are seven churches we're going to start seeing in chapter two. There's seven spirits we're going to start seeing at the end of chapter one. There's seven candlesticks at the end of chapter one. Seven stars, seven lamps, seven seals, uh, beginning in chapter six. Uh, seven horns, seven eyes, seven angels, seven trumpets, seven thunders, seven thousand, seven heads, seven crowns, seven angels, seven plagues, seven vials or bowls, seven mountains, and seven kings. <coughs> and then, not with just the number seven, there are other sevens, as I've, I've told you, like the seven Beatitudes, things beyond outside the book. But what is Seven. It's just one of these just interesting little things. What is seven? Well, you can go all the way back to the book of Genesis and find out in Genesis 2, 3, God blessed the seventh day. This is what you see so much of in, in the chosen. God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because in it he rested from all his work which God had created and he made. If seven means nothing else, seven means it's over, it's complete. Seven is the number of completion. Seven is the number of fullness. All the sevens in this book tell me that this is the completed work of God. That's why it's at the end of the Bible. It shows a completion. That's why in chapter 22, verses 18 and 19, it says, I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, because it's complete. Then God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. Yeah, that's a very simple warning. Isn't it? Don't add to it. It's a book of sevens. This is a book of fullness. This is the end. God is finished. The essential nature of the book is given to us. The, the, the theme of the book is given to us. 
Uh, and in fact, I've given it all to you. The source of the book is God. The recipients is to his bondservants or to the Christians. The character of the book is that it's prophetic in nature. The mode of transportation is he sent it by an angel to deliver it to the destination, which is number seven, to John himself. And it is a, a the character or the impact of the book is that it is uh, prophetic in nature. Now, that impact of the book, meaning it's prophetic in nature, means it is a blessing. It is a meant to be a blessing. The impact is it will bless your life. Don't deny yourself that God intended you to have this and to be blessed for it. Thank you again for listening to Hope for the Heart. As we get into the study of the book of Revelation, I may have a few more words to say here. But otherwise, we will be getting into verse 4 soon. Thank you again for joining us. Bye-bye.